Greetings, boils and ghouls. This is your comrade, the Crypt Keeper here, reporting dead from the sanctuary of the strange. Tonight's macabre myth is a fright-filled feature, one overflowing with monsters, madness, and magic. <laughs> Welcome to the Monsters Madness and Magic Podcast. I'm Justin, joined by my co-host, Daniel. Say hello, Daniel. Hello, Daniel. This evening, we're joined by a very special guest, monster maker and visual effects artist, Mr. Christopher Biggs. Chris, how the hell are you? I'm damn fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's great to have you, man. It's a pleasure. So, I guess we'll just get started at the beginning. Take us back in time. What sort of films, television, comics, book were you consuming as a kid to jumpstart oh. your imagination? Well, actually, as a kid, my big goal, I, I, I it wasn't until I saw Star Wars that I realized hey, you can actually work in movies and make money. There's actually something going on that isn't Logan's run, visual effects wise. And I, I, I just saw the movies like, eh. I mean, I saw 2001 when I was like 10 and I went like, like wow, that's cool. I have no fucking clue how they did that. Um, <laughs> you know, I was pretty much, I was, a, I was a theater geek in high school. I was an artist, I sculpted. I kind of painted. I mean, it was like, you know, I, I took painting because to get the, I had to take painting to take the sculpting class along with, I also had to take ceramics to take the sculpting class. And so it's like my freshman year in college, high school, I had a lot of art and weird things that I didn't really care about, but I just needed to get those so I could do the next thing. So, you know, <laughs> and then I proceeded to sit and do sculpting class. In fact, if you look, I'm going to tilt this up. See that guy right over my head? Yep. That was my fourth sculpture I ever did right there. Dude. And it kind of confirms my love of pirates and things like that. But my main goal, actually, when I was a kid, was to work for Imagineering. When I was in high school, I got to meet Blaine Gibson. Uh, my long story short, my aunt worked for Bank of America. Bank of America was a major sponsor for a couple of things at Disneyland. And my aunt was the one who had organized the contracts for that. So she got me an interview with, I can't remember, I think it was Marty Scholar at, Dis, at Imagineering. And he asked me what my, you know, what I was interested in doing. And I said, sculpting. And so he just walked me back to Blaine Gibson's office and just said, here's a kid, give him this, the 10-cent tour, you know, and proceeded to get the 10-cent tour. And I showed him some pictures of some of my stuff. And then as I got better I sent him more photographs and then my senior year in high school I got accepted to the apprenticeship program in 1976. I was very excited. Basically the apprenticeship program back then was you worked two days in Glendale at Imagineering and three days they sent you to CalArts for free. I was like oh, wow. damn. That <laughs> Can't be that. Back then CalArts was even expensive for today's dollar, you know, I mean, it was like something like $20,000 a semester to get into CalArts, and this was $76. So yeah, big bucks. I didn't come from big money, so I didn't have that, and my grades were not what I'd say stellar. You know, I was a theater geek. Well, senior year passes, I graduate, I contact Blaine, I said, okay, I graduated. He said, nobody called you? I said, what? He said, oh, they canceled the, canceled the program about a month and a half ago because of a new project that we're, we're starting and hang on i gotta close the door because dog will be barking for a while now that's it no make problem. sure it's not important that sounds Hi. important <laughs> oh. so anyway back to scratch back to square one 
he said, go get a job at Disneyland. You know, you live near there. I said, yes, of course. So, you know, I lived in Ontario at the time and Disneyland was about 25 minutes away. So, so I, I got the first job I could get at Disneyland because he said, I can't take you on as an, in the apprenticeship program, but I can get you transferred over here as, you know, a shop rat just somebody to you know help and i was like okay anything works you know so i went and got a job at disneyland literally two weeks after i spoke to it i called him up i said okay i'm at disneyland now great who you know uh what's the name of your supervisor and i told him i told him food services and he's like oh you're in food services (laughs) i said what he says i think the last time they let somebody get transferred out was about 10 years ago and it was the truth nobody in food services ever got transferred out they quit and then they would get then they be rehired then they you know wait a few months and then go back and reapply and rehire in another division and i was like oh fuck me you know (laughs) anyway finally blaine got something worked out about two years later and sent me he says okay you need to get this paperwork signed by these people so i started at the top i figured might as well you know so i was like the head of main street and the head of the food services and then i went down to my supervisor and my supervisor refused to sign she's like fuck you you're not getting out of here i don't care (laughs) Magic Kingdom, huh? Magic Kingdom, yeah. (laughs) The management, management, management kingdom was kind of uh, fucked. That that still is, really, if you think about it. Anyway, so that didn't happen. I quit, thinking, okay, if I can just, maybe if I quit, I can just apply for a job. And he said, no, you had to already be a Disney employee to. So, henceforward, that was screwed. In the meantime, I've been going to school. Uh, My first year in college, I did psychology because. I was like, I need something to fall back on. I'm not sure this art thing is going to work. And then I saw the movie Star Wars, and that just threw it all that all out the fucking window. <laughs> I started, and then when the the Epcot thing happened, it was Epcot basically is what screwed me over because they were doing they were in the planning stages and they couldn't they had because of that they had no money to submit out to an apprenticeship program so i started thinking well hell i could do special effects and i started going to school learning painting and sculpting and and you know art and and design and graphics and architectural miniature architectural design which was for basically people building homes and houses and industrial things and architects are pretty much paper people. They don't know how to do things three-dimensionally, right. you know. And so I was thinking, well, that's, you know, I figured it'd be a good thing to learn all this stuff. And basically model making, you know. But, uh, you know, I, I, as a kid, I'd make models, you know. And then also I'd gotten interested in doing makeup in theater. I was doing a lot of makeup, you know. I was doing, I was always being, because I'm 6'5", and back then I weighed about 140 pounds, I think soaking wet so i was pretty damn skinny and i was always getting cast as these strange towering characters and i was in oliver twist and i played the character called mr sourberry he was the undertaker that takes oliver from the uh, home and so uh, i had to do i did myself with this makeup and made these giant sideburns that were from the from the era and all that stuff and I, you know so i was doing a lot of theater and my sister was interested in opera and my mother happened to have been a cosmetologist in her youth and so needless to say we got wrangled into doing the makeup for the opera company it was a local opera company and so i was doing a lot of age makeups a lot of you know but it was all theater stuff you know big bold straw you know 
strong things because we were performing in a theater that held 4,000 people and the closest you were ever to an actor was about 20 feet. So it had to be, you know, it was serious stage makeup. And then from there I started, you know, then I had to put a bald cap on a guy. So I had to learn how to do that. And then for Halloween one year, I decided I was going to do Planet of the Apes, you know, started researching how you did prosthetic makeup. So by the time I got into college, I already had a good, a good understanding of makeup. Uh, and then I started getting more of this, but, but I didn't think about makeup as a career. I thought of special effects as a career. I ended up getting a job as a makeup artist and I realized I, I, I knew enough, I knew enough lab work that I could continue working, but I didn't know anything like applying eyelashes or basing out somebody or, you know, making a girl look pretty, you know, uh, <laughs> that kind of thing. And uh, so I went to a makeup school. It was the only one in town and they'd been around since the forties. And I was like, okay. You know, longevity you know they have, they weren't like a fly-by-night thing and the sad thing was is i knew more than the instructor did all he could show us was how to base somebody out you know blush them up and put cover on and things like yeah you know, I mean, which was pretty much what i went there but it was like this is supposed to be a general overall how to do makeup thing and it's supposed to be prosthetics and he had never made a foam latex piece. He'd only bought them and, you know, from other people and applied them. So I was bringing my own stuff in and making my own stuff. And, uh, you know, I had a life cast I did it myself for the uh, Planet of the Apes makeup. Nice. I didn't have anybody I knew who could help me with it. So I bought dental alginate, about four, I don't know, they were like one gallon buckets of this stuff, dumped them into a large metal bowl and filled them with warm water and stirred it up and just stuck my face in that and held my breath for about two minutes. <laughs> it was uncomfortable. To say and, I grew, and I took my eyebrows off. So uh, <laughs> I had a life cast at least. So I was able to work in two little pieces on myself and stuff like that. They, you know, it was funny when I got done with the first class, they offered me a teaching position there to teach prosthetics. And I'm like, going, I don't know enough. I'm just, you know, I'm just starting. I know, I know how to make a nose. I know how to make eyebrows. I know how to make stuff like that, but full head stuff. Uh-uh, never done it. You know, cut to, okay. So from this class, from the school, I meet a guy and he says, first thing you need to do is get business cards printed up. Okay. So I got business cards printed up and he just says, hand them to anybody and everybody who says they have anything to do with the movie industry. But okay. So I went to parties. I went to events. I eventually snuck on to, um, as part of my colleging, I snuck on to SC, took about three classes there. I couldn't afford to actually go to SC's film school and they weren't letting people in really. But I also found out that if you didn't show up the first day of class, you were out. So I just kept going to classes until somebody wasn't there. Suddenly <laughs> I was. Then. So I heard Spielberg had did it at Universal. I figured, okay, well, uh-huh. that'll work. I uh, went around and did, uh, you know, I was Bob in one class and Bill in another. And, you know, <laughs> That's great. Michael in another. I so, love it. <laughs> you know, my favorite was this girl I had in two classes, and she's like, how come you're Bob here and Bill there? I said, I missed I on the thing. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, basically, you could go to SC and you could buy a student ID. It was $175 and a parking permit. You know, so you got the student ID and a parking permit for a semester. So I'm like, okay, so I did a semester there. Um, <laughs> but the other thing I did was I posted little, you know, those little note, those printouts with the little tear-off notes. I do makeup. Hire me for your shows, for your movies, <laughs> you know. And so I got a couple of those. And, and then from one of those, I got a hold of some guy who I worked with. I gave him one of my business cards and I get a call from 
from a guy named Kenny Myers one afternoon. And Kenny's working at a place called Roger Corman. So nice. I got uh, I got on the very tail end of Battle Beyond the Stars. Basically, I was working at the time. The ma- Kenny called me for makeup, and they were they were talking about for Galaxy of Terror, but they brought me in sooner. So I was pretty much a shop rat there, doing anything and everything they asked me to do in the in the model shop, in the makeup shop, and whatever. Bounce back and forth from a lot of these. So, so when you were in Galaxy of Terror, like was that you were there at the same time? Galaxy of Terror. That's James Cameron. That's when he was. Yeah, there, Jim right? Cameron. Yeah, and that's what inspired Aliens. Was the I mean, uh, you could watch that and well, see. Well, no, no. Actually, Galaxy of Terror was inspired by Alien, singularly. Jim was working there at the time. He, well, to put it mildly, he was a bit of a dick. You know, I mean, everybody, we used to call him the Cameron Beast. In fact, we even named one of the monsters after <laughs> He'd come on set and he was, he actually worked as second unit director. And I worked with him pretty exclusively, so I got the full brunt of his fury. In fact, I was the first one he almost killed. He made us work a 40-hour day, and I went home from long, from uh, Venice Beach to Ontario and fell asleep driving two <laughs> off-ramps away and drove off the side of the freeway in some poor guy's backyard. Luckily, because I wasn't wearing my seatbelt, I threw through went through the front windshield. But if I had, the engine would have crushed me, so I was fine. And the funny story is, is that I was walking around the... the car just going fine fine. (laughs) and all the clothes i'm wearing i'm covered in fake blood oh no gallons of fake blood that has been spilled on me at one point and it's you know and then of course i've got a cut here and i've got a cut here and i've got a cut here so i got real blood and (laughs) fake blood And I'm walking around the and the the guy who owned the house, I guess, called the ambulances and they showed up because I was literally in this guy's backyard. I mean, I went right off. It was like about a 25 foot drop, and I just went off the edge of the freeway, you know, straight into the ground. Anyway, I'm walking around this car. I was going, fuck, fuck, fuck. Oh, my makeup gets broken. God damn it, fuck. You know, I'm just that's all I can think of. The uh, ambulance guy comes up and just lay down. You're in shock. You're bleeding to death. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. You're covered in blood. It's fake. And I go, uh-uh. See, it's fake. It's, it's, it's syrup. And of course, they forced me to the ground and tied me down to a, hauled me to the hospital. By the time they got there, they realized I had three, three cuts. So, and a nasty bruise across my chest from the steering wheel. So, yeah. Galaxy of Terror. All right. So, not only was that James Cameron, but that was also Robert England. Wasn't he in that uh, also? Yeah, Robert was in there. Okay. He, so, I'm uh, seeing the connection. That was the first time I got to work with him. I actually got, I, I got to kill Robert. That was fun. Uh, <laughs> he did a thing where he got, he gets him like gutted by the, the shadow monster, which we actually called Cameron Beast. And so, they tried a fake belly and it didn't look good. Nothing. It just, kind of, you know, it just, it was like, you know, a big foam latex skin and it just, and it, it, the insert, it was like an insert shot and it just didn't move and it didn't look good. So they decided to reshoot it. I got pretty much all of the second unit reshoot work, which I didn't have a lot of the, I didn't have a lot of the stuff that the first unit had to work with which was like you know money Um, (laughs) so i had to kind of come up with shit so we ended up ended up going to the butcher shop and getting sausage casing and filling it with fake blood and then putting sausage casing calves liver and some tripe in and chopped up fine so and and then of course nernies the all 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 intense everything gory ever gets is nernies so (laughs) i'll explain nernies in a second anyway so i made six of these ziploc bags then what we did is we i made a uh, uh, I had a life cast of Robert and I did a uh, little fiberglass like a 
it was a, basically it was window screen material and that I formed to his torso and then put like little bits of fiberglass on the side and then put neoprene foam on that and then taped that to him and then we taped the bag on him mm -hmm. and then we pre-cut the slashes in the shirt and then very carefully glued those closed on the slash marks and then what i had was the monster's hand and i proceeded to put exacto blades in each finger yeah and then i played the monster and swiped through and just tore open and then i told him to wiggle a little when we do it and all the guts fell out and all the <laughs> fell out and i'd made enough for like six takes because i didn't know how many times we were gonna have to do it we got it on the first one i was like woohoo you know first take and we're good so guts went back in the bucket figuring we'll use them again probably in the next day or two and they didn't they got <laughs> pushed back into the corner of corman's warehouse that he had there at hammond lumber i don't know if you guys heard of hammond lumber it was the it was basically Corman's effect shop. It was on Main Street in Venice, just Main and, Main and Rose. It's like, if you went out the front door, it was Venice Beach. It was beautiful. If you went out the back door, it was Crack Alley. It was like, <laughs> you never went out the back door because you'd get shot. <laughs> One of your earliest credits I'm looking at that me and Daniel were talking about before you jumped in here was Saturday the 14th. I got to know how yeah. you got involved with that one. That was, I was working on pickups for Galaxy of Terror and all of a sudden they said, um, yeah, you're a big guy, come here. So I was the creatures crawling through all the windows and the doors and the <laughs> Film. Oh wow, that's cool! Every <laughs> single one of those creatures, because they'd already shot the big shot with all of them together, but they didn't have any of them actually coming in the building. I was crawling through. Uh, you know, they put the suit on me. We shoot two or three takes of me crawling through a window, busting a window, or busting through a door, or whatever. And uh, yeah, that was my that that was an acting credit, really. I don't know. I mean, but they gave me a makeup effects credit for it. Yeah, there was anything that was happening there, pretty much. I worked on because after working there for on galaxy of terror and having the accident i bought a camper and i just parked it on the lot it was one of like an overhead big camper trailer kind of a thing that went on the back of a large pickup truck uh -huh. and i noticed that the the front of it was starting you know because it had that overhead thing that goes over the top of the truck mm -hmm. and it was starting to do that so i just propped it up with four by fours that i found lying around you know <laughs> Nailed them into the ground. So they didn't move. <laughs> I lived in that thing for about a year. Along with the art, there was a trip. And the, the reason I got the idea for that was that there was a bus parked on the lot. And that was the art department. And they all lived in there. And so I was like, well, okay, we've already got some residents. And there was a shower and a bath. You know, the bathroom had a shower in it. So I just, you know, there was a laundromat down the street. And I'd go do my clothes on Saturdays and I'd have Venice Beach for my front yard. It was nice. <laughs> uh, Can't complain. And, uh, so whenever there was any makeup effects shit, I was the guy because I was there already. <laughs> and, uh, and with you being with Corman, I see then. So it's no small stretch to, because especially looking at your credits, that you would end up with old Charlie Band. Oh, God. I met then John Mutant, what we call I don't know what it ended up being called, but we called it Mutant. I think it was Forbidden World. I'm not yeah. Sure. Okay. That, that uh, is, that's a, a movie. So, oh, trust me, with Corman, you never really, every week there would be a new poster. There'd be a new name of a movie. There'd be, and, and Carmen would, first thing he would do is he'd run around with all of, you know, all just run around the set with asking, you know, have like what the art, the, uh, the ad guys, what do you think of this name? And, and 
all stupid. I mean, one was the, I remember Galaxy of Terror once one point was called Mind Quest Infinity of Terror. I love it. That's a mouthful. Yeah, you got a lot of words on that poster. I love his concept because that's what I do to, like, I'll do it to my son. I do it to my son now, but I used to do it to my brother all the time, thinking up a concept for like a new, if I'm doing an audio drama or if I wanted to do like a new Haunted House themed album, be like, what do you think of this title? And I just start spitballing stuff at him yeah. all the time so yeah i can relate completely with that <laughs> yeah that's kind of how corman's worked i mean corman actually i mean he had this way of distributing his movies it was brilliant and it would be like small outlays of cash he'd have a hundred prints made or something when it was a big film he had 200 prints made. and what he would do is he'd start advertising say okay he's probably usually he always started in los angeles because that was the most critical people and they'd want to see the freshest prints Mm-hmm. You know, so the, fir- the the first run of any of his shows were in Los Angeles. So two weeks before he's showing the movie here, he's advertising it on radio, newspapers, television. I mean, every he's saturating it, billboards, wherever you know, whatever he can get. And so the movie opens here. He cuts off the advertising immediately and starts advertising it in San Francisco. And then two weeks later, all those prints go from Los Angeles to San Francisco. And then he starts the next ad campaign and the next. They usually ended up in Tallahassee was like the last showings before the prints were like so bad that you couldn't tell what the movie was anymore. So, and then he would just throw the prints away because he didn't need them anymore, you know? But he'd do that on every movie. Mm. Every single movie he released was done that way. And he'd make millions on it because he'd get everybody all excited. And he only had, I think it was like maybe a hundred grand in prints, you know, outlay. So... His prints were really expensive back then. 35 millimeter, you know, feature length. That's eight reels. And each reel cost about 10 grand to print. Well, Chris, I'm going to go ahead and jump into it because you know how you and I came across each other. One of your creations scared the absolute shit out of me when I was a kid. And it <laughs> lived in my head for quite a while. Why don't you just take us through the process of how you came up with the unnameable creature? And oh, yeah. Of... Well, you've, got, you've been to my website, right? Right. Yes. Okay, so you saw the little unnameable. I saw the picture. I couldn't find the write-up. Oh, well, the write-up is not much to it. I mean, really, I got to actually, I should finish putting something up there. I've got a friend of mine who helps me with my website. She's staying with me, staying with us this week. And so it's like, just, oh, let's finish your website this week. It's like, okay. So <laughs> still not finished. You know, I've got every photograph of every makeup effects thing I've ever done. And we need to get it. We want to put a photo gallery together of all the, I mean, behind the scenes stuff and in the, you know, the, in the make, making, you know, the doing of, you know, the, the applications and everything. Well, Kit, oh, the, that's the creature's name because that was the actress's name. I don't, I think it was Elida was the character's name. Right. But we never used it because we actually didn't know that at the time. I never actually read the script on this movie because there was never really a script written by the time we started. Wow. Uh, <laughs> the director, Jean-Paul Wallet, come to me. I don't know how he got my name. You know, but I can't remember if I'd done, no, I hadn't done Nightmare 5 yet. I hadn't done Nightmare 4 yet, actually. I'd done Critters 1. I redid the Critters, the transformation of the bounty hunter in Critters 1. And then redid Zanti's makeup for the close-ups because the Zanti makeup was a polyfoam piece, and it looked it it looked like pretty much like he had caterpillars running around the top of his eyebrows and all the way down because they had just glued down this latex and polyfoam thing and then like filled it with latex. You know, I mean, it was just it was nasty. <laughs> uh, so I made a nice foam latex piece that blended off under the eye socket and around the corner. You know, had to re-sculpt it do all that and then just so you know it was one of those but i had to make it look exactly like the one that was in the movie so anyway so jump forward jean paul contacts me because he saw critter the stuff he'd read about the the transformation in critter 
creatures. And he says, well, I've got this creature that I want to build. And so we started talking and we started doodling and sketching. And I mean, I was over there a lot. We played a lot of poker. And, uh, <laughs> and then his buddy, Charles, who's in the movie, he brings in one of his buddies. And so now we've got the lead. The lead is, ah, I can't remember the character's name now, though, you know. Carter. Yeah, Carter. Yeah, Randolph Carter. Yes. We've got the two main characters. And so now we're auditioning actresses to play creature. And we had a bunch of Scream Queens came through, but they couldn't move to save their ass. What I tried to do is get them to go through doing, you know, because I, I had a lot of creature experience in Kerman's, you know, dressing up and being a monster. So I knew exactly what you kind of needed to do to get there. So we're watching all these. I mean, we literally had 15 or 20 different actresses. And we did this over a period of like five days in this weird little warehouse that Jean-Paul had found. And we proceeded to get, you know, finally Kit performed. And she's a baller. She was a ballet artist. She was a ballerina. But she had to quit because her boobs got big. She had nice sized boobs. So, you know, and she had a, I mean, she had a perfect, just very svelte body, which is what you want to start with when you're building up a monster. You don't want to start with somebody who's already big because they're going to get bigger. And that's why uh, What's-His-Face does so much work. You know, uh, the, you know the guy from Held, Held uh, ah! The green, you know, the alien, the, the green guy. He, you know, he plays a lot of lizards and a lot of aliens and stuff like that. I can, oh, you're talking about Doug Jones? Doug, Jesus. Yeah. We're getting names of everything. So, <laughs> excuse me. Yeah, so, I mean, Kit was, like, very svelte, and, you know, I mean, but she could move. She had this, I mean, she was graceful. And she just, I had her doing all these different poses and stuff like that. And so Jean-Paul's photographing every actress as they're doing their thing. And we had a little cheapy eight millimeter video camera too and so we we're videotaping the motions and we'd go over them the night you know like the next day before the next actresses came kit was one of the things she was like on the second day probably about a third of the way in and when i saw her i was like oh hell yeah she's the one so we went through everybody and i was like yep still kit we contacted her and she came over and we started working we did a full body cast of her i then cast her feet with her standing on points because she was a ballerina she could do that so i had her and i just did her up to her knees and had her sitting in a chair with her holding her feet at point and then when we did the the booties they're cast on her and then i made a little platform to hold so but the nice thing she said they were the most comfortable thing she'd ever worn because they were fit exactly around her feet and at the area where the toes were i had kind of i added play and built it up before i made the, the positive so there was a good half inch around her toes but it was completely tight on her instep and the bottoms of her feet so her toes were free to wiggle, but everything was held tight by her instep. And she said it was it was amazingly comfortable. <laughs> so she didn't bother. She wasn't. And then the rest of it was just sculpting and mold making. The problem was is that we had a budget to do this makeup once. Oh, so no. Had, oh. Yeah. So we had to kind of plan around. We had to kind of, we had to, okay, we got kit. We brought her in at three o'clock in the morning and we finished the makeup at noon nine hours and then we proceeded to shoot every shot of her full body partial body that day that's all we shot there was an actor involved they were there so we had the her leg the legs were her legs just colored with makeup and then the boots and then we had lace pieces that went on with all the hair but the body the torso was a prosthetic the arms were complete prosthetics they came down here then we had the gloves the whole thing was designed so that we could get it on and off of her quickly and easily but a lot of it was glued on and her face was she was completely sealed in so she, we had to we were like feeding her like you know protein shakes all day long but she could go to the bathroom because the, the all the hair was not attached it was like you could lift that up and you know go pee but 
she that that performance is her. That is all her. And I mean, Jean Paul would direct her, and I'd I'd say, hey, you know, when you come up and do this, instead of just grabbing this, come in like this, you know, do something like that, or you're, you know, and I mean, to make your, your motions fast. That was about all we gave her for direction. Everything else, all the motion and movement was her. But back to audition. Okay, sorry, it's like <laughs> I took some of the photographs of her, and then just laid tissue, you know, uh, tracing paper on them and kind of traced out quickie sketches of, okay, what do you think of this? You know, and then we started collecting. There's a picture I've got, I think it's in the, on the thing where I'm sculpting the hand and you can see, if you look at the wall behind me, it's just every freaking kind of reference I could get my hands on for monster hands or <laughs> veins or muscles or, you know, that kind of a thing and just had all that up there when I was sculpting that thing. I mean, the gloves were just foam latex with a lit with a with a uh, uh, spandex glove inside of it. Did you work on the second movie as well? Oh yeah, I designed the creature for that too and had an amazing crew with me and I, I got what I think is probably one of the best foam latex age makeups ever done in any movie and it was two stages of it. It was the uh, Elida, the, the human Elida, after the creature has been separated from her and she's starting to age. You know, they right. killed the monster and now she's she's aging to 200 years old. It's a it's a Actually, the, the, the little girl, I can't remember her name. She was really sweet. She was so, so, just sat there quietly as, as we glued this shit all over her. <laughs> that piece, the, the first piece was just facial pieces and a wig. The second one, though, was full head, you know, all the way down to her belly button, pretty much. And the third piece was a dummy. We just built a, I call them a joint, joint dummy. It's just, it just had, you know, joints that would stop at certain points, but there was nothing in it that was, you know, right. it was all loose. So when you pick her up, she'd flop, but flop naturally. Then we got, for the second creature though, we got Julie Strain. Oh yeah. It was another one of those, okay, we're auditioning actresses, we're auditioning. We actually tried to get, well, Kit came in for one day of shooting. So we had to recreate her makeup and which was hard because the mold from the original, the body mold had broken. We were taking it off when we were, after we baked it. At the time, we didn't have enough money to actually, I, I was doing this all thing out, I did the whole thing out of my garage. And I usually just bake stuff in my house. Oven, well, this is a full torso, it's too big. So I went out and bought a old refrigerator that was 100% metal. There was no plastic anything in it. It was from the 50s. And put a heat, heat uh, heater at the bottom of it and then <laughs> and a fan at the top that would suck the air out. And we got it to about 200 degrees. That's all we need. And it just sat there and baked all night. We'd open it up, but unfortunately the mold was thin along here. It was thick at the edges where we needed to pry at, but uh, the, the mold in the middle would have been so it cracked in the middle. We got the piece out. We got the piece done. We, uh, we you know, it was perfect for the movie. But then the sequel, we're like, I've got to remake that. <laughs> so we took the mold and did a silicone positive out of it and then made a stone negative that was, actually, I think we did fiberglass in that one because it was so fucking heavy. It was rid ridiculous to carry around. So while this is all good, well, and it's also while we're working on Unnameable 2, Star Trek Six is happening in the shop too. My partner, Richard Snell, had nailed all the Klingons for Star Trek 6. So we got, I'm upstairs. And There's a lot of Klingons there. in that movie too. Sorry yeah. to interrupt, but uh, I remember uh, that. There's a lot of Klingons. <laughs> oh yeah. We had 45 masks that were just big pull over the head masks for the, we had A, B, and C makeups. Actually, no, it was A, yeah, A, B, C makeups and then background masks. So we had 45 background masks. They were uh, um, a urethane material so that they had a little translucency to them and 
and they then they glued and punched hair into a prosthetics. We'd have one full piece foam latex thing. It was just you know foop drop down, and they glue it around their eyes, and that was enough. That was off in the background. Then there was the B characters, which were again background, but they were foreground enough that you could see the difference. So they were actually real prosthetics and real hair pieces, and you know nice beautiful work. And then we had the A's, which were like uh, you know the major characters, you know Christopher Plummer. And, uh, ah, I forgot his name again. The guy who played the the the, the emperor of the Klingons. I just and a funny thing, uh, I keep thinking Price. It's like no, it's not Jonathan Price. I haven't seen that movie in forever. I'll have uh, to look it up. We'll look it up, and it's the guy who played. He plays the emperor who they assassinate. One of the cool things was Nick wanted he wanted him to look like Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> so the hair, all the beard is Abe is an Abe Lincoln beard. I put a, I, the, the the forehead had these like kind of like I I had actually got to sculpt that one. It's actually one of my pieces of my thing. David uh, David Warner. David Warner. David. Holy shit! Yeah, David. The man. Well, the funny thing is, we're doing Star Trek Six and Unnameable Two, and he's in both movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm working with him. I, you know, it's like I had just did it. I had to kill him in Unnameable, and then about I don't know two weeks later, he's in the shop, and we're doing t- makeup tests on him. He's like, "Didn't you like pour blood all over me about?" two weeks ago i was like yep that was me (laughs) (laughs) yeah i can just hear it in his voice too though that he has that calming way of telling you things oh yeah yeah you can say yeah i'm now going to pull your ass through the back of your eyeball and you'd be like (laughs) okay didn't you cover me in blood two weeks that's it i I said yes i did i'm covering you in rubber (laughs) laugh (laughs) but uh yeah that was kind of a fun little coincidence winky dink there you know so all Uh, right give me some dirt on the last boy scout i have heard that production was a abysmal on that movie were you okay. privy to any of that or like is this a bruce willis film so i mean were you just dabbing blood like all over various cuts and wounds in his basically, face basically uh, that was another that was a richard film richard was the key on that film he was the key makeup effects guy he did a lot we did a lot of stuff with bruce i mean we did hudson hawk that was oh, yeah. shit we did the last you know, last boy scout ricochet no ricochet was uh uh denzel washington right but we had to do a john lithgow's knee and made that as a single it was a single piece it was a sleeve that would go up over his knee it would blend off and it had all the scarring and all the you know stuff like that lithgow was cool will it bruce was he was in his heyday then and uh-huh. his shit didn't stink you know <laughs> i i i have worked with him since for it was actually for an imagineering thing and he's a lot more i was a dick then so excuse me you know <laughs> pardon me please it's okay you know you know he was 30 something and was being given millions of dollars to be his silly self you know and- just curious because i i watched last what i actually really enjoy that movie for some yeah. ungodly reason and i was just i don't even i hate to say this but i don't even remember what we did on it i know we worked on it there was a, I, I made a lot of blood bags <laughs> for the the uh for the pyro guy because he couldn't keep up you know we were making i was was doing it started with condom bags and then that got to the point where he you know they were just he was gluing them with things and you'd have this like fucking egg sitting on his chest like no that doesn't work (laughs) so i started using uh i had a heat sealer and i'd make little heat sealed bags and then inject blood into them and then seal it off and then we could take that and cut it up into like six pieces so we'd have little Little, you know, little bags about that big that were about that thick that had about maybe a half an ounce to an ounce of blood. So you put a cat, you know, you put a cap behind it or a, a squib behind it, and it would be a poof, and you'd have a nice blood spatter. But you didn't have the huge, you know, 
you know, eggs sitting there for the condoms. Condoms are great because they're really <laughs> super strong and they're uh-huh. really super stretchy and they, you can fill them with all sorts of liquids and they don't break, you know, and you can get them at the local department store. I gotta, <laughs> I, well, a good here's, a, here's a funny story. I'm working on a Western. I'm up in Wrightwood or, or uh, Ridgecrest or something way the hell up north. I am going to the store to get condoms for blood hits, KY jelly, because we had a lot of people who get sweaty and you use KY to dab when you want to have set sweat, but you don't want it to be like running in their eyes. So I went there and I bought six tubes of KY jelly, about five boxes of like the unlubricated condoms, you know, like hundred boxes. And also the, 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 uh, uh, wardrobe asked me to pick up some pantyhose you know a couple you know half a half a dozen pairs of pantyhose so i got this <laughs> shopping cart full of pantyhose condoms ky jelly oh yeah and diapers because one of the uh, actresses had her daughter on set with her and ran out of diapers so that's oh, no. in the middle of fucking nowhere <laughs> so i'm like okay great this young girl is ringing us up and she says oh on top of that i bought some boots because there was nothing up there so i'm bringing home some rum and some coca-cola and so she's like, looks like you're going to have one hell of a party. Can I come? <laughs> <laughs> this is Tim oh. Curry's dressing room. Just please don't mind. <laughs> you know, and I'm just, I looked down at everything. It's like, like, oh, I never even thought of that. Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know? What aspect of Dream Warriors you were working on? And I also have to ask, were you present on the filming of the Dream Warriors video with Dokken? Yeah. No, okay. shot, okay. shot so far after the movie was done that we, you know, we we worked on Nightmare on Nightmare Four. We were in Valencia. The whole thing was shot in a giant warehouse in Valencia. All the interiors, all the make effect stuff. Steve Johnson's giant Freddy torso was in there. There's a great story with that. Steve, I think Steve has probably told it a few times, but I mean, this thing's like 35 feet tall, and it's got God inside of it, and they're rubbing up against dental band. That's textured dental band that that Steve and his guys have made. And so you're getting faces kind of through this rubber and stuff like that. And it was supposed to be like undulating, like all these, had all these guys hanging on wires inside this torso. And then they're, and then they had people behind them pushing them into the rubber. Because once they got them elevated, they realized that they couldn't do anything but just hang there, dangle. So they're covered in slime, and they're pushing them up against this thing. Well, one of the supports for the body gave way. Oh, no. And there was a guy... Taka Takahishi, I can't remember his name, little guy, he was a little Japanese guy. And this thing starts falling this way. And he's standing on top of it because he's like animating the neck. He's the, you know, the puppeteer for the neck of this thing. And he just like wrote it down like it was a fucking, you know, like he was on a, sl- uh, on a, on a skit, you know, skiing down a hill. And he's just, you know, balancing and, you know, jumping. And then as soon as he hit the bottom, he leaped and did a roll and just ta da. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. Or it was a lot of miscellaneous stuff. I mean, I did the the reason I got the job was Freddy's Resurrection. You know, I was I was Mr. Transformation at that time. I was doing a lot of transformations for people, a lot of different things. And also I was Mr. Jello. I mean, not Mr. Gelatin, because I used gelatin for just about all my prosthetics by that time because they looked better, you know. Silicone hadn't been perfected yet. Silicone was basically you had to like 
do it and make it inside of a you know a clean room in, in NASA, get it to work. And half the time it still didn't work. So I went with gelatin because it's not hard. You make the stuff, you melt it, you add some flocking to it, gives it a little bit of fleck of you know color. You put you know your pigment in it, pour it in your mold, close your mold, your your release was spray pan. So it was like the it was inexpensive it, and the most effective way of getting wounds to look like wounds. I mean they really looked and felt great. When we did the bicycle, uh, the motorcycle gag in five. Yes. Makeup on Danny is, you know, was gelatin, literally. I mean, I, I had, when I did the first Unnameable, I had this huge neck piece at one of one of the actors, and it just looked so flat and so dead. And then from that point onward, I used gelatin for everything because I discovered this formula that was kind of long and forgotten. And it was like, you can make this gelatin using high tensile bloom gelatin. It's it's kind of the same stuff they use for uh, ballistic tests, except I was mixing in sorbitol and a little zinc oxide. And it made it very, gave it that kind of a fleshy look and feel. But you could take the thing and like, blah, 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 you know, waggle it around and it wouldn't tear. Most everybody else was doing it with too, too low of a bloom of gelatin and it would tear. So they didn't do it. I actually used the shit in, in Sri Lanka. I was on a horrible movie in Sri Lanka. Amazing country, but horrible movie. What movie? Um, <laughs> What movie? Oh, the, the Further Adventures of Tennessee Buck. Yeah. Never seen Not familiar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One of those, what? Uh, but we had these natives being, they were attacking and getting attacked. And we had to have, had all these, you know, all these, these Sherpa kind of guys who were helping them through the jungle get attacked by these natives, these, uh, these bloodthirsty cannibals. And, you know, they're getting like stone axes in the back and arrows through their heads. And so I couldn't, I the foam latex, I kept trying to run it, and it was so hot and so humid down there, it never worked. So I went with gelatin, and it worked, because I, I could do it in high enough temperatures that it was actually, you know, I had to melt at a higher temperature than the air was. And making foam latex, you almost have to make it in an air-conditioned room. It has to be the, 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 when you're doing it, it has to be like 70 degrees. Otherwise, the ammonia evaporates too quickly. The chemicals don't react properly. It's it's very touchy. I live in South Carolina, and yeah, I know the humidity and all. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. no need to even try. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, yeah. So, you know, and I'm in a place that's 100 degrees and 100% humidity. So yeah. <laughs> yep. To say you walk out of the house, you walk out of this air-conditioned room, and your phone just goes, fuck you. So, uh, <laughs> your hair does the that oh, number. Yeah. Well, my hair luckily is kind of is lightly curly. It's not, you know, we had one of the girls on set who had straightened her hair and she got on set and it just went, Seek! you know, instant afro. Chris, you and, said you uh, were famous for transformations. Is that kind of how you got involved with Teen Wolf as well? No, actually, I was working at the Burnhams and we had just done the octopus for Goonies. You did that? Infamous octopus. Yeah. Hell yes. Uh, uh, yeah, it's like the, the one thing. Well, we built basically what we did was special effects department had contacted Tom to they needed a skin for a octopus mechanism that they already had. Well, we saw the mechanism. And we're like, wait, we're going to use that? Really? So <laughs> we kind of developed it with airbags in it. So you could write it. You could. You know, suck the air out of it, and it was made out of it was a urethane. It was a very flexible urethane material. It was very translucent. It was beautiful for skin and things like that. So it, you know, we sculpted, molded, cast this thing up, cast it with air hoses. Actually, it was hoses down the the tentacles, so that all they had to do is it was going to be mostly in the water. So all they had to do is hook up a hose to it, and the tentacles would be, you know, doing this under the water. And they said, no, 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 no. We have to use our mechanism. So the first thing they did is they cut it in half. 
took all the airbags out of it and put it on their mechanism, which didn't work. So now they're hooking cables to the ends of tentacles. And all the tentacles are just kind of going flap, 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 on the top of the water. And it's sitting on top of the water because it turned out there was electronics inside of it and they didn't want to immerse it. So needless to say, it got kept. Tom yeah. was really pissed, but he's like, well, hey, we built something that would work and they fucked it up. Now I remember that, yeah. that and the scene when Troy burns the map in Goonies is like, there's one cut of the Goonies where the original cut, they meet him in the gas station and Troy picks on him, makes fun of him, grabs the map and starts to burn it. They grab it and run away yeah. because later in the movie, when they're looking at it, the camera shot from the back, you can see that the map is burned. And as a kid, I was like, how did the map get burned and then it was like a couple years later i saw the unedited cut which included the yeah. octopus yeah and, and it's that, horrible isn't it no that movie is godly no, 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 and no, the is movie God's amazing, gift. but that that octopus was horrible i got the cool thing though is i got to go onto that set that yes that is cool ground cavern pirate ship set i'm like what are you guys going to do with this when you're done with it <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking I can just get a big semi truck in here and load that pirate ship on. I don't know if you know this or not. I'm a pirate. I do pirate remakes. That's one of the things I do. I've been doing it for decades. It's one of my more fun things to do. God, if I had that, we could have that as part of our encampment. That would be, you know. Dude, tell me about it. You could take the ship. I'd make it into a haunted house. Oh hell yeah! I would do my haunted interactive symphony. Well, it was like with a it, pirate it, it, ship it, in the background. I mean, yeah, just, it was about forty percent functional. It didn't have a backside. It had railings on both sides, but the open it was had a big opening on the back but the whole front was that and then it had two decks you know you, so you could just and they had the opening in the back so they could get the cameras in on those two decks so you could just fill that in and yeah turn it into a haunted house or something you know <laughs> And they just took it and had a bulldozer run through it, knocked it down. And it was like, it was built like a real fucking pirate ship. I mean, like a real ship. It wasn't built like concrete. They'd taken beams and stretched them and steamed them and angled them around and then aged them down and blew holes in them so that there was whole, you know, natural wood holes in it. I mean, the rest of the set was con spray concrete on the on the, on the mesh. And right. sculpted with rock, you know, the guys sculpting it. You ever seen Cars Land at Disney California Adventure? No. I have not. Okay. That is the world's largest sculpt. That entire land is one giant, one-off sculpture. It's they would they built everything and then they sprayed they sprayed it off and then they had armies of guys who were just sitting there sculpting the rock formations. Wow. That whole thing is just a sculpture. It's amazing, it's beautiful too. When you get in, you get you get into that land, you can't see anything but that land. So it's very immersive. It's one of the one of the highest high points of of that last ten years, I think, of, was that Cars Land. That Goonies or uh, Teen Wolf. Teen Wolf Teen was the Wolf. original. That's, okay, so from <laughs> Working on the octopus, then they took over for Craig Caton doing Craig Reardon. I'm sorry, doing the uh, the, the makeup on football player. Doing what was the character's name? You, 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 I'm, you, you'll obviously remember this since you, it's one of your favorites. The, the, hey, Riggs! you know that guy, Sloth. <laughs> so yeah, we yeah, 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 over Sloth makeup because it was. I guess it was just the the mechanisms were too bulky and it took too long to apply the makeup. So Tom took it over. Well, while we're doing that, we finished Goonies, and Tom says you know just basically say, hey we got a little project coming up that kid from family ties like okay cool so <laughs> we're you know so michael comes in we do a life cast of him and then it was myself and, and, and rob berman tom's son
Brown and a couple of other guys in the, in the shop. Tom just says, make him look like a wolf. Okay. So I'm thinking, and I'm I, thinking the way I like to think, it's like, what kind of a movie is this? Is this a horror film? No, it's a comedy. Is this a, you know, is he turning into a real wolf? No, he has to play basketball. So, <laughs> I did this real subtle nose upper lip thing and a brow piece. Just very subtle little little things. Everybody else is doing full on fucking howling. <laughs> Big you know, the, the snouts coming out and all this stuff. And the director was just like, no, no. Ooh, that has possibilities. And so my makeup got chosen to be the makeup. So I, unfortunately, it was a union film. And at the time I wasn't in the makeup. So I wasn't allowed to go on set. Originally, they hired a guy, a union guy to come in and apply the makeup. He did a good job on the makeup, but he couldn't stand Michael. And so Tom's like, you've got to cover for this guy today while we get a new guy. Just keep your mouth shut and don't say you're not union and just blah, blah, blah. Like, okay. So I go and I do his makeup one day. And then I discover why Bill quit. Chain smoke. He's smoking a cigarette while you're trying to glue shit on it. And then he'd take a cigarette and light it with the one he was putting out and continue to smoke. And about wow. three quarters of the way through the makeup, I'm just like, dude, I'm working with some flammable shit here. You might want to <laughs> put that out. And he's, oh, no, no, no. You know, and he's like talking to people on the phone, and, you know, and he's got one of those fucking bricks, you know. <laughs> and dips, I, I take a Q-tip and I dip it in melodium, which is ether-based. Highly flammable. I'm not using any of that shit on him. I'm using like a medical adhesive and rubber cement paints, and it's all non-flammable on him, but he doesn't know that. <laughs> so I take the collodion-tipped Q-tip, and I just held it in front of his cigarette, and it exploded into fire, and then I proceeded to put it out in a glass of water. Jesus fucking Christ, why didn't you tell me there was something? I said, I did <laughs> tell me he said i don't know <laughs> no clue man i'm no trying clue. to save your life you know <laughs> so he didn't smoke anymore in the makeup trailer and i can't remember who picked that took off after me for the one day but fox was on johnny carson about two months later pushing team wolf and he says yeah they're like gluing me up with all this flammable shit <laughs> <laughs> Man, you pranked Michael J. Fox. That's a story you can tell your kids. Yeah, I mean, he was—I mean, he was nice enough, other than the fact that you wouldn't fucking stop smoking. And Bill had asthma, and that's what the thing was. That went. Yeah. But the only other problem was that Bill put the hair pieces on backwards. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, that thing that looked like a beard going hanging straight down. This one was supposed to go here, and that one was supposed to go there, and it was supposed to sweep back <laughs> uh. <laughs> into the, the wig. <laughs> Great. And he ended up with the beard that's and, hilarious uh, yeah the rest is in so. <laughs> dang so that's how he got that look that wasn't <laughs> was any part of the make the original makeup design it was the, the uh the hair girl who did the, the laces lace pieces for us didn't specify left or right and blunder the first one he grabbed and put it on and it went straight down instead of straight back at the start of this you said goal was to eventually make it to disney and obviously you did so how did you yeah. circle back around well let's see going back to i'm still doing makeup effects and I'm, it's now the early 90s. Horror films are no longer in favor of my producers. And directors. I mean, I had two years where I actually had seven shows in shop at one time. That many shows going on simultaneously. I have no idea the names of these movies, honest <laughs> to God. I mean, I had a friend of mine posted a picture. I said, hey, didn't you work, do that? He goes, yeah, your show. Oh, what was the name of it? Told me. I was like, going, really? I had no idea. <laughs> 
you know <laughs> it's like it wasn't for imdb i have no idea half the movies i've worked on because it'd be like i get a call do you have a fake head yeah okay here uh it has to look like this guy yeah okay we can paint it to look like you know a lot of it was just head tumbling down the road you know things like that <laughs> have you got an arm here you go you know uh, oh i got I, i've got a great story for the arm uh, but with body parts if you're interested sure. do you guys remember the hillside strangler in yes. california yeah well, at one point, he was starting to chop his people up and throw them off the sides of the freeway. And I was unaware of any of that because I was in my shop working. I was working on a Korean film, actually, and I was making hundreds of arms and legs and body parts and shit like that for this scene. Do you remember when the Russians shot down that Korean airliner? Yeah. Okay, it was in the early, mid-80s. They were doing a reenactment of that, and... One of the, the people who actually saw it said that body parts rain from the sky. So they wanted body parts to rain from the sky. So <laughs> I had all these legs and arms and torsos and heads and all this shit. And I'm just using every mold I've got. So it's like I'm doing some, there was, but they wanted to have some for close-up. And, so, you know, the, the, the background stuff was pretty much all on set. I had manufactured about I don't know, 10 arms and legs, you know, the equivalents of like five people in like gelatin and really nice and punched hair, beautifully painted and just look, you could set it and look absolutely real. So I have to be on set at like six o'clock in the morning in Santa Clarita and I'm loading my truck up, but some dickwad the night before had stolen the shell, shell off my truck, a little Toyota pickup truck. And it stolen the shell, fuck me. And there's no room on the passenger side to put all this stuff. So I'm putting everything in trash bags I'm trying to light, tie it down with zip lines and stuff like that. On, uh, uh, the stretchy, you know, spand, spandexy lines. Yeah, so mm-hmm. all this shit out. Bungee cords. Uh, yeah, bungee cords. Thank you. And uh, so I'm driving north, and bungee cords aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. And one of the bags catches airs and flips out of the truss, laddering arms and legs <laughs> on the five freeway northbound. I was unaware of that. <laughs> anyway i got a uh, this lapd not even chips i was expecting chips to be pulled you know i get the boom you know pull over okay i'm like oh fuck Did those assholes break a taillight that's all i can think of is that they broke because the, the taillight the, the plastic was broken and i figured oh fuck they blew up and lapd back then were pre-rodney king so they're pretty much they get to do whatever the fuck they want whenever the fuck they want and if they they need to get some tickets written they they just find any excuse to write you a ticket and then kind of like god damn it okay pull over and i'm leaning <laughs> over getting my, my driver's life you know my registration and getting my driver's license out of my wallet and i got it and i'm handing it over to the guy and I, there's a gun pointed like right there at the window he's like tapping on the gun with the window and he's like roll the window down i'm like okay hi there he grabs me and pulls me out of the window of my car throws me to the ground handcuffs me in the dirt and then proceeds to stand on my back with his foot with his radio and all he could this is and this is what he kept saying the entire time got you motherfucker got you got you give me give me an excuse give me an excuse to put one in your head holy shit <laughs> and i'm like i think we have some mistaken identity here and he's like Gotcha, motherfucker. Ah, that's all he can say. And I said, oh, dude, I, I'm, I'm working on a movie. And I'm trying to, like, calm because I'm like, this guy is about 22. He's probably just out of the fucking... He's, he's, he's got visions of grandeur that he's going to be the guy who caught the hillside strangler single-handed. And I'm like, oh, those... And he's just, you know, shoot the fucking arm in the bag. He's like, oh. I'm like, have you touched it? He's like, fuck no! <laughs> it's, it's, it's fake. It's made of gelatin. I can see hair on it. I said, I work in the movies. I work on... I do 
special effects make there. And he's like being, I mean, all he, he's just holding the gun to the back of his head. And finally, somebody in the radio says, well, put him in the car. Okay, so they pull, pick me up, haul me up, throws me in the back of his car, slams the door. He's sitting in the front seat. You know, I got a little cage between me and him. And he says, he's calling the car in. Yeah, we're going to need forensics up here and blah, 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 blah. Got a yellow Toyota pickup truck, license plate, M-A-K-U-P-F-X. <laughs> oh. Puts the radio down, turns to me. He says, I'm going to let you go, but I've got your driver's license information. I hear anything about this. I'm going to come to your home and make it look like it was a bad robbery gone bad. Holy so shit, man. That's a heavy story. <laughs> that's LAPD for you. That's, L- that's LAPD. That was back in the early 80s. You know, I mean, the mid-80s. That was before Rodney King. Rodney King was the first time LAPD got caught in the act. Now, it's every other week beating the crap out of somebody or killing them or you know uncle was a chp officer he used to carry an un, a unlicensed serial free gun with him everywhere he went so in case he shot a guy who didn't have a gun he'd put that gun in his hand and shoot it so that it looked like he got a he got a shot off before he laid him down yeah that was the law enforcement in california at the time it was it was fun i just it's funny he's flipping out over it's like dude i mean you are in california yeah it's about you know there aren't too many chief exports out of there and movies is one of the big ones maybe yeah. wait just a second and you know before we fly off the handle here i think this kind of like, i don't think this guy was from here originally i think he got you know he <laughs> school in like you know arizona or something like that and got transferred out because he was too enthusiastic mm-hmm. uh, you know i don't know I did write down his badge number, and about five years later, I did a little research, and I found out that he had been taken off the force and was working as a security guard someplace now. So I was like, "That's probably for the best." Oh, that's good. (laughs) So uh, he must have done something so heinous that he got his ass. Where were we at? I'm sorry, I'm I'm worse than Mark Twain for going off on. We were working on how you got how you got back to Disney. uh, Full circle. Oh, Imagineering. Okay, so. Okay, back to imagining. I'm working on horror films or no more. I am working on TV shows. I'm working on Martin Lawrence. <laughs> and uh, I'm also, uh, I had just seen a few years, about a year earlier, I had seen the movie Willow. And if you remember Willow, they had that one yep. sequence that's just a massive amount of transformations. Mm-hmm. And so cut to six months later, and I'm bidding on some transformations. It's a, It was a, a vampire movie, and they wanted the hero actor to turn into this evil, awful-looking creature. So it was going to be a prosthetic, and then it was going to be a, a transformation gag was going to happen. So obviously being Mr. Transform, I got the job until they saw Willow. And they contacted, I guess they contacted ILM or something, and they just, oh, thanks, we're not going to do it that way anymore. And now we got Greg Cannon doing the prosthetics, so thanks, bye. Greg had always been kind of in charge of doing the prosthetics, but he brought me in to do the transformation because he, he, he likes to glue things on people. He really doesn't like to do the big big props and the shit like that he's never been one so i started worrying it's like oh fuck i better learn this computer shit i I bought myself a a macintosh fx2 and then got a copy of photoshop and taught myself photoshop and then i went to a photoshop convention where i met a guy named john noel who he and his brother thomas had written photoshop john had just gotten a job up at ilm doing god knows what and he showed me this really nifty trick with this he wrote a plug-in and he Gave me a copy of it on a floppy disk. That's the best part. It was the old, that's how long ago this was. And his email couldn't handle something that size. Oh my God, oh my God it might have been about 100K. <laughs> <laughs> 
I use this plugin and, and then the technique he showed me on how to pull a, a blue screen in Photoshop. And it, it worked brilliantly. And by using quick keys, I could actually like do a whole shot in Photoshop, you know, cut, uh, cut the mat, get a, have a, have a, an element, you know, with a, a, a it's up that's you know got a black mat cut out and i discovered this application called after effects and i could take bring this i could convert the movie the the i could convert the actual movie into a quick time movie in there and then bring the masks that i did from photoshop in as a photoshop sequence and, and then use them against each other and then put them on a good background and color time them and all that shit because i was using it originally i bring i do the mask masking pass and then i'd bring i do another quick keys section where it would load that file what, what john's little plugin did was it allowed you to load in sequential files so one at a time so it would load in the first the background plate and then load in the foreground plate because photoshop didn't have layers there brought it in copied it pasted it onto the background plate and then while the while the selection was live i had in the quick keys at doing a color correction so that it matched in and i was able to crank through pretty much a shot a day that way with that then i discovered after effects and i didn't have to do that but i showed a couple of guys how to do that and they got jobs and i didn't and i was like Fuck. cut to january 1994 and we have what's called the northridge earthquake here and they were working on a movie called shrunken heads which was for uh, richard elfman danny elfman's older brother and from boingo boingo and show they had been doing all the shots but they were doing this process that i had taught the guy that was working there it was Rick. Uh, anyway, they had a little problem. All the shots, all the working shots, all the stuff that they created, all the applications, all the all the projects that held all of these things together were on hard drives. The old, you know, the spinning big thing, and they'd all jump off their shelves and on the floor while they were spinning, which pretty much is the death knell to any hard drive. Once you do that, the little arms bash into it and it cuts little pits in it, and you're pretty much your host. They did have all the original footage, scanned footage, on tapes. So I got brought in because old Rick said, well, this is the guy who taught me how to do it, so he should be able to handle it, you know. So I got came in and because I had, I didn't teach him the quick keys trick. So he was doing every single shot, each frame manually, which was painful. In <laughs> two months, he had done five shots, you know. So we had five shots to make up for. And so I started with my quick keys technique and all that stuff and went to lunch and came back and had two shots done. They did one on one machine and another one on another machine. So needless to say, when it came time to for the show to end, everybody else got laid off but me. And I stayed on there for about a year. This is Charlie Band too. This is the second time I'm working for Charlie Band. First time was Ghoulies and all that crap with Beekler, you know. And now working at Full Moon. There they had a facility in Glendale. And it was mm -hmm. really cool because we also had David Allen working there doing his yes and you know it's like so it's like i got to meet the master before he passed away and i actually got to work on one of the um one of the doll movies i can never remember the puppet, puppet master. master the puppet master movies they were doing one and the guy was like you do puppet work i was like yeah i do like, okay great <laughs> you're gonna to do stop motion okay <laughs> So I did two whole shots. <laughs> but, nice. Uh, yeah, it's like, you know, it was like a little creature kind of coming out from around the doorway, kind of going, you know. <laughs> uh, and so uh, it was one of those things that was great because I was working there. And then one of my ex-employees showed up. And he had a guy who was working with David Allen who was doing stop motion for his band's videos. And it was uh, Adam Jones from Tool. Oh, and nice. And Adam had worked for me on Nightmare 4. 
and also uh, critters too. So my favorite story with Adam was he called me up one afternoon. He said, dude, my band just got picked up. We'd, I'd seen his band a couple of times and it was just kind of like a wall of noise. <laughs> you know, kind of sort of sort of rock, sort of punk, sort of grunge, just loud, especially in the facilities. They're, they're, they're playing in like these clubs that were like industrial facilities that were like 30 feet wide, 20 feet tall and about 50 feet deep. And then they got speakers along the back wall completely, yep. you know. Anyway, I'm like, well, congratulations. He's, and he tells me, it's like, oh yeah. And it's like, you know, I can't remember if it was MCA. It was like one of, one of the big things. And he's like, should I do it? I said, Fuck yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was working at Jurassic that. Park at the time and he was like, well, I don't know which way I want to go with the band or if I want to stick with makeup effects. And that's, you know, strictly up to you, dude. And, uh, I, I, said the, I just I said the only advice I gave him, I said I had a friend who was in a rock and he got, they got their contract, got their first album out. It was really successful. He bought every fucking thing he could think of and then proceeded to have the second album come out and it was a complete flop and now owed millions of dollars. So I told Adam, I just said, okay, when the money starts rolling in from the first album, stick it in CDs, stick it and invest it, just stick it someplace where you're not going to have open access to it, you know, maybe buy yourself a nice, a nice pair of shoes or, you know, something nice, <laughs> but just stick the rest of the money away. Then if the second album comes out and it's just successful, buy the fucking yacht, buy the fucking, you know, mansion, whatever. It was funny because he still lit when Petula had been out for like four years, he was still living in the same apartment he was in, in North Hollywood. You know? When's the last time you yeah. talked to him? online I, I every so often I'll, I'll say hey to each other online but his schedule doesn't we, we, we tried to come to I, I used I used to this big monster party called it was the a margarita party it had like hundreds of guests and it would be it was actually a margarita contest and the idea was that the best margarita would win you know best tasting margarita and I invited him to a couple of those and he tried to come to one of them honestly did and he just said he called me up and he said I was on my way there and I got a phone call I have to fly to fucking Paris well next time next year you know and, but now that i think tools broke up now they're all doing their own little things. they're in there's some weird hiatus where they're always not ish together they're not quite broken up yeah they're never quite together and they're always yeah they, it's they, weird they just about every five years produce an album it seems like <laughs> so, yeah. so i learned computer science i learned the graphics i learned the motion graphics i learned the animation i learned all the stuff in after effects and i'm really getting good at it i'm starting you know so I am now working at DreamQuest Images. DreamQuest was doing the scanning for all the stuff we were doing for Talking Head, for Ship Shrunken Heads. Right. And all of a sudden they called me up one day. They said, yeah, we were told that you did all the work for Shrunken Heads that we were printing out. We like it. We want to bring you in. I was like, okay. So they brought me in and I worked on their video department. And I worked on like JAG, Earth 2. Wow, flashbacks. <laughs> Alien Nation. It was weird because Alien Nation, I worked on the visual effects and the makeup effects. I was actually one of the appliers. I was when I was trying to get my union time in. I was working as a, a gluer. And so I'm working for DreamQuest. Well, then DreamQuest gets bought by Disney when we're doing Mighty Joe Young. And I, I worked on George of the Jungle there. And that was one of my favorite movies I've ever worked on. It was so much fun. I had to, I had to do a head cast of an elephant. I had to do the the sides of his of the of the elephant tie was her name and i had i did this pla big plaster bandage li like life cast on the side of her head on each side because we had to put track marks around her eyes because the original storyline we were going to enlarge the size of her eyes to so like these puppy dog eyes and then add, and because she was an indian elephant she didn't have big african elephant ears so we we're going to put african elephant ears on her and a big wagging tail and a tongue that would come back you know pant elephants can't stick their tongue out and so my favorite comment was one of the 
reviewers of George of the Jungle said, I'm not sure how they trained the elephant to do that. So I'm working for Di now I'm working for Disney. And Disney decides in their infinite wisdom, because Dinosaur, the movie Dinosaur was coming up and it was looking like a massive bomb. They brought us in as what they called the secret lab. And our idea was we were going to do more dinosaur-like movies with live action plates, CG characters, you know, CG animated animation characters. Well, dinosaurs are complete disaster so now we're, we're we're sitting in a visual effects company is now sitting in the middle of feature animation and roy disney kind of goes why is there an effects company in our animation company because they'd already i mean buena vista visual effects they closed and half the people that worked there came over working with us at dream quest and you know we're in the middle of pro finishing up on like gone in 60 seconds and the dragon movie uh reign of fire was the other movie that we were working on the time oh it's uh, the uh gemini man we were doing all these tests for Gemini Man, which never, it was originally uh, Mel Gibson, it never got made. Finally redid, recently redid it with, I think it was Will Smith. Will Smith. Wow, so that was supposed to be Mel Gibson. Yeah, yeah. The idea was that they needed to have uh, an old and a young version of him mm -hmm. almost at the same time. So we were taking and painting, my, and part of my job was to paint dots on people's faces since I was a makeup artist. Yeah. California Adventures opening, and our division is sort of, kind of sitting on its thumbs right now because they didn't want us to do any more video stuff. So we started doing silly animations for Imagineering for the opening of California Adventure for like the Bodine bread thing. I did like this this bread kaleidoscope. Kind of cool looking. It's kind of fun. But we did other silly things and lots of, lots, lot, it, was supposed to be, it was supposed to be funny. So we did that and I did, ended up doing Whoopi Goldberg as Khalifa in this, the, the Golden State Thing. We also did the comps and animations and special effects for that movie, too. But I got the infinite joy of having to stabilize Whoopi Goldberg's face because she would talk and be doing this as she's talking and talk like this and looking around and talking. It's supposed to be projected on a sculpture. It was like a lock-off, like a Leota kind of thing. And I, when I didn't know that, and I got the footage, I'm like, Oh, fuck. So I'm spending spending months stabilizing her and finally get it all done. And we project and everybody's really happy with it. And the guy who well, then cut to suddenly Roy Disney discovers, what the fuck? There's a visual effects company inside of feature animation. Get rid of them. <laughs> so they laid off everybody except two animators and the software division. Because we were writing all these lovely you know, software things for like, you know, King you know, for like Mighty Joe's hair, the particle generator for Armageddon and the the, the the youthening effect for Gemini Man and all this. So we got a lot of tech that we've developed and they're like, hmm, you know, so they held on to that. And it's funny because they're still doing 2D animation at Future Animation at the time. Treasure, Treasure Planet was the big movie that was going on while we were working there. And then once we left, and Bolt became the next film, you know. So right. I get a call from Ken Horry, who was the head of, actually at the time, the media division, just you know, they did like anything that was on film had to go through them because they were the only union element inside of Imagineering and uh, they needed to hire actors. So I'm working with Steve Martin on the opening, the, the 50th anniversary video. And I get called on set to do some supervising of just some green screen shoots. And then and Ken said, hey, you want to start copying some stuff? And I was like, sure. So the first thing I get was there was a scene where they literally had built half of Main Street in a soundstage at Disney. And they had, you know, Martin walking along because they couldn't they couldn't schedule the park closures to his schedule. Three o'clock in the morning. And he really didn't want to do that. So they built a park. So they built, they 
fucking main wow. street, you know, one side of it. And then they've got the sidewalk, you know, the road, they got the trolley car going through, you know, the whole kit and caboodle. They shipped one up from Anaheim, you know, the trolley car. And then, but the one thing they didn't realize is that all the lights on Main Street at night are gas lights, little gas flames, and they had light bulbs sitting. So I had to go in and paint out the light bulbs and uh, pop in glass, uh, gas flame. I just went to the park, videotaped it for about five minutes, and then brought that back. I had, you know, I just got my first iPhone, so. <laughs> <laughs> So it was, I think it was a little bit more than 1080. It was a little bit, the high, I think the resolution at that point was probably standard def, but we were doing this whole thing in 2K. So I got all that done. I had 10 days to do it in. And I'm like, okay, cool. That's, you know, it was, it was about 10, 15 shots. And I got them all done in one afternoon. And I'm like, oh, fuck me. <laughs> off again. And Ken just said, great, here's some more. And I was there for 10 years. There worked it is. on Space Mountain. I worked on Madame Leota. I got to, I worked on the new Madame Leota. Actually, my name's on the uh, patent. And it's the, the internal projective head and we developed it for Madame Leota but we had to prove it worked before they would let us put it in the park so we had to do we were doing they were upgrading Tom Sawyer's Island because Pirates 2 was coming out and they wanted to put a pirate overlay on Tom Sawyer's Island which is funny because everybody was screaming bloody fucking murder because we're, we're we're screwing up Tom Sawyer's Island until we published the original design for Tom Sawyer's Island and it was called Tom Sawyer's Pirate Island <laughs> And it got changed to Western theme because of Davy Crockett TV huh. series. It was so fucking popular. They took the pirate element out of it and put the the the, the Western the the you know the 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 Davy Crockett element into it and built the fort. There wasn't supposed to be a fort there. It was going to be just rock formations. And this is the island that's in the book where Tom and Huck go and play pirate in the book. Awesome. And that was the original concept for Tom Sawyer's Island. So us doing pirate stuff on it was like, hey, we're just fulfilling its original destiny. We're still pissed off half a dozen people, you know, half the mouse heads. Anyway, the uh, uh, island was a huge success, uh, but we proved that rear projective head could work. We had a, pirate, a cursed pirate in a, in a cell, and uh, it's, it's a really cool effect. The, the, vision, the special effects guys did this great jig where they were able to rig it so it would, in white light, it would look like a guy wearing tattered clothing. But in black light, it would turn into like a rotting corpse and rotting clothing. And then we did the face, so it turned from a normal guy to a corpse face as the moon comes out. And we had another projector and a big screen behind, like a hole in the, ro in the rock. And it was a big flat screen TV. Well, actually, no, it wasn't a flat. It was a... It was a it was a screen we had it at an angle we had a big projector at the bottom blowing up they finally eventually replaced it with a flat screen because the, the projector kept getting so much dirt sucked into it that fry in about two weeks so but uh we had the yeah we had this so we proved it worked with that and it was green lit and we put it in and i was thinking we'd do it in anaheim first but nope we put it in florida first and then i worked on the attic bride here in california the attic bride here is one of the, we called it a shoe scrape usually what happens is that somewhere between uh uh, the beginning of Nightmare Before Christmas overlay, they come up with some idea that they say, hey, we want to put this in when we bring it back up. So we need to have it. So and there's like a one month window where they're taking out Nightmare Before Christmas and putting back in. So we put the new Attic Bride in and the, the uh, uh, named Tim Landry did all the portraits and the special effects team did. He, he painted all, we photographed all the portraits. We actually photographed the actress and she was holding just a green screen thing, a uh, green screen thing. And the idea is that she was going to be holding a bouquet of flowers 
that would decay and rot, revealing a hatchet. But then they decided they wanted to have nine lines. It's You've got one minute, and you see her for exactly ten seconds. The trouble was that the rotting, decaying flowers took four of those seconds. They decided it wasn't. So we just have the hatchet magically appear in her hand. The other problem is that we filmed the actress in a costume. I filmed her with what I call UV lighting. I put red light above her, a green light to the side, and a blue light to the side. We filmed her in color, then I could take each channel, break it down, and adjust the lighting hmm. on it so that it looked, I could light it to make it look like it matched in the set because I have like these channels. So it could, you do a CG, except this is live action. And it worked really great, except for one small little detail her arms, they weren't translucent. And her arms would pass in front of her, and it was solid, and it didn't look right. And so we decided, okay, we need to use this, the CG example. So we, it, we didn't have time to redo, I mean, literally, this thing's opening in a week. We haven't rendered anything. Nothing's been matted to it. We had the full thing matted. And on top of that, we did the, they insisted on doing her, I wanted to do her laying down like they do Leota. So she was like, you know, can't move. You put your head in a little vice laying down. Uh, that's what we did with the the, the pirate on the, because uh, uh, we had, to, we did three cameras on him. So we had him literally lying on the floor, you know, and doing that. And they didn't want to do that. She, they wanted her in full. And I'm like, so I had to like I, I put this thing on her head. It looks so. I, I used to call it my Steve Martin arrow arrow tracking gag. It was just it was a headband that went in her, behind her hair, came forward and stuck out with black lines, and then these two great big orange balls at the end of it. So if she did this with her head, I could stabilize her head e- easily because having stabilizing Whoopi Goldberg with her ears. I was say that's real smart. I'm thinking of yeah, like, and, yeah. But the trouble was that when I did that, her body did sort of swinging like a bell. So then I had to disassemble the head. I had to take it all apart into pieces. And then we're like, in the arms, the arms don't look right, you know? So nothing of the original idea was used at Disneyland and still isn't, it's just killing me. So later, a year later, we're doing it in Florida and we have the time and the money now. So we're going back, we're taking all the photographs we had of all of the beautiful costume the actress wore and we're recreating it in CG. And uh, my friend Rob uh, Dressel, who is one of the top guys at, at feature animation uh, did the hands he animated the hands and they're just beautiful and flowing and, and then we had like ribbons that would be like you know you know kind of drifting around all this because we had on top of that the the, uh, the outfit that she's wearing is actually just it was uh, a net and it had a fans that would blow it around and made it real liquidy looking so we added all this extra stuff and ribbons and stuff like that to the and it looked beautiful it was perfect and then when we tried to get them to put it in California, they're like, like, oh, we don't spend money. It's already done. We're happy. You managed to fulfill your childhood dream. I mean, that has to yeah, feel yeah. good, at least, man. Like, you wanted to work at Disney when you were 15, and yeah. then you did it. Got there in a roundabout way, you know. It's long road to hope. <laughs> one of the advantages <laughs> was is that I was able to do stuff that a digital guy would like. You know, I needed element. Whenever I need elements, I we had a stage in the back, and I would just commandeer the camera and just go back there. And we had green screens, blue screens, white screens. You name it, it was just, you know, you push a button and that screen would go up and the screen would come down and, you know, it was so easy to shoot that way. And it was all pre-lit. The screens were all pre-lit. So all you had to do was just stick something in front of it. And like a Big Thunder Railroad, I needed a landslide and I needed dirt and debris collapsing and falling in and rocks. So I went to the hardware store and bought about 200 pounds of sand and about 100 pounds of rocks. And then I just got two big ladders and I just would put 
you know, put them up about 25 feet in the air and put the camera back. So you kind of see the edge of ladders, but we kept all the dirt in the center. And we just tilt the board while we were filming and all this dirt and sand would come scaling down. It was in front of the white screen and we didn't light the front. So you could, it was just a silhouette. So I ended up using that on, on Big Thunder and on the Yeti shadow in Everest Expedition, Florida. A lot of little things. And Mr. Dressel did the animation of the Yeti in the shadow. And then I did all the other stuff, like the, you know, pulling up the track, you know, and right. did all, you know, that's all 2D. <laughs> <laughs> the hard part was making it go, wow, 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 wow. About bouncing, I had an advantage that I could do live. I could do physical stuff and I could do the digital stuff. Now, uh, I did barnacle makeups on these guys for Shanghai Disneyland for the Pirates of the Caribbean. They're like in these stocks, and their faces are covered in barnacles. Like you know, they're part of the Davy Jones guys. You know, so I was able to you know I created the makeup and shot it. Actually, they shot it because the guy who was in charge of it wanted to shoot it from the point of view of the audience so he built this giant fucking rig put these guys into and then shot it from like the floor because that's about the height that they were going to be at and i'm like it's an element you don't have to shoot it you could just shoot them straight on lay them down on the ground shoot them straight on shoot their face and then project it in there and then warp it and make it look pretty for the because the projector was going to be real low and projecting up at a high angle make it an element instead of trying to do it all in camera it ended up we spent uh, six months trying to stabilize because these guys just had their heads stuck through a hole and their hands were loose and they're and they're like and they're rolling around and you know so we ended up having to take their face and cut it up in little pieces and then project it onto a CG head and then whatever we remap their mouths and you know we use stills we just use a few stills and then remap their mouths so the heads are CG they're no longer ma- they they were makeup a guys in makeup and had they shot it the right way we could have done it in one take Disney has the money to mess up <laughs> well, they get a lot of people who are in charge that basically are accountants and they think it's better to spend a lot of money building something than it is to just listen to somebody who actually does the job. Right. Uh, the only people I know that were brilliant, were, uh, the, 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 there was so many, there was so much waste and stuff like that. But at the same time, it had that feeling of like old theater projects. It's yeah. like you do these mock-ups and it's duct tape and foam core and, you know, and we did the, we recreated for the Little Nemo, the, the submarine ride here in California, they turned it into Finding Nemo. And we had, we were going to be projecting on, on fabric. So we needed to hide the blow by, you know, we couldn't just have it blow, projecting straight at him because it would right. be blowing on, you could see the projectors light and stuff like that. So we needed to hide the projectors and then hide the light that the projector was going to be creating that the audience would see. So we had to, we made these foam core rocks saying, okay, got to be this height here the art department guys would come in and carve them down and okay that works and go to the next set you know and then we had to then we had to create fly zones for pixar so it's like okay here's the image and it's like this red zone no animation can ever go in there (laughs) you know all this green zone is fine blue is okay yellow try not to put something there you know right that was that was it so so. that's great man and like i said it's very rare that you know you have a dream when you're a kid and you end up realizing no matter how you get there roundabout or not and you got some cool stories along the way and we're not going to keep you all night here chris we'll just wrap up here by do you have anything else on the horizon do you tell Uh, i'm working on a couple projects right now one of them will be in new orleans it's a kind of a museum think museum meets haunted mansion Hmm. kind of thing it's uh, a lot of strangeness 
So, yeah. And then another project I'm working on is actually a dark ride that will go into an Indian casino somewhere. I'm not sure where. <laughs> they, they, they've got the dark ride built inside of a warehouse in Reno Valley, which is about, I don't know, it's about a two hour drive from Los Angeles. So I have to drive out there and I do a lot of, I do a lot of the projection. I'm doing all the projection mapping for them. We stepped up doing a dragon fire thing where we were going to project. They wanted to do the thing that we had in Big Thunder with a big fireball coming at you. It's just project on nitrogen. Right. And after we did some testing with LED lights, it's like, you don't, you don't need the projections. It's, this is perfect. You know, this looks really good, you know. And it was just colored LEDs right at the opening of the of the, the steamer. Of the, it's a water-based uh, fogger. And we just put all these colored lights there. And it just colors the fog as it comes out. It looks just like fire. It's like, you don't need a projection on it. It's perfect. You know? And they just, you know, save thousands of dollars of buying projectors and shit like that. So. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, it's just, it's like sometimes high-tech isn't the best solution. Sometimes the low-tech is... Better. Just because you have the money, you don't have to spend it. Right. <laughs> and then I'm working on another project that is, can't really tell you about it other than it's kind of like it's a hotel, but think like a haunted hotel. And every bedroom will have uh, effects in it. Okay. Oh, I like it. So you know? kind of like, you know, the house on Haunted Hill, but a haunted house, like a haunted house. Yeah, depression. but think, you know, think that you got like, you know, you're, you're in your room and you're looking out your window and all of a sudden some strange thing is like looking back at you or uh, you've got. Uh, you're in the shower taking a shower and all of a sudden the, the, the window you know the mirror steams up and if something's writing on it saying help me you know i like it cool that's really cool so that's that's yeah they want me to make a multi-dimensional bartender oh cool that is cool so that's 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 going to be digital physical and a few other things so you know and you've right. got the, you've got the tools in the toolbox i don't i can hire somebody who does okay? <laughs> right you know i mean I, I hire a lot of physical effects guys because they know physical effects better than i do i, I know i said okay we need to do something like this and they say oh well, we can do xyz and it's like let's go with x you know so right well chris it's been our pleasure to talk with you man Justin, yes. It's, uh, it's a hoot. yes, sir. We'll uh, I'll send you a copy of this when we get it edited and nice and pretty and all that. Is it going to be like a podcast or a, an audio thing? Or yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's just, <laughs> I'm probably going to do both. There's my cat. Oh, there's his my butt. Cat? Okay. And <laughs> I close the door so Mike, because otherwise my cat would be jumping up on top of the keyboard going, "Oh look, I can put type." Yeah, he's screaming at me right now. Like I said, Chris, it's been a pleasure, man. Yeah. Okay, guys. It's, it was a hoot. Uh, we'll, let's stay in touch, you know? Thanks a lot, man. Yeah, right, yeah man. Come up to California. Look me up, you know? For sure, we'll do that. We'll yeah. do, man. Okay, Take guys. care. You too, man. Bye-bye. Have a great night. Welcome to the night. You think you know Night Demon? Then the Night Demon Heavy Metal Podcast is for you. Step into the darkness as we peel back the curtain to give you an unprecedented, all-access look into the mind and the heart of the demon. We're talking band history, song analysis, studio anecdotes, stories from the road. It's everything a diehard Night Demon fan could want and more. This is the only place to learn the inside scoop, the deep dive trivia, the untold tales from the band members themselves and those closest to the Night Demon story. Need more? The sacred Night Demon crypt will be pried open to reveal demo recordings that have never before seen the light of day. All with in-depth commentary by the band and the people who were there for the writing and recording process. This is a gold mine, a treasure trove of all things Night Demon. Head over to nightdemon.net 
or wherever you listen to podcasts.